0: And if you have your Bible with you where you are, we are in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the third chapter, uh, starting in verse 14. But before we look at the passage, I want to tell you a story. You see, when I was in grade school, in middle school, and in high school, I had a really difficult time in understanding two subjects, math and English. I just didn't get it. I tried to understand. I did my homework as my teachers told me to do, but I just kept on getting it wrong. Even though I was trying to learn it, even though I was trying to take it all in, I just didn't get it. I went to college, and I went to my first year of English, very worried that I would not get a good grade. The teacher, the professor, gave us an assignment. It was to be just a three-page essay typed up on any subject that we wanted. And so, I sat down at my computer, and I typed out the three-page essay, and I turned it in to my professor. About a week later, uh, after class was over, the professor listed a few people's names that he wanted to have come to his office to talk about their paper, and I sat there worried, rubbing my hands together, hoping that it was not my name that was mentioned, but in fact, my name was the first one mentioned. I knew I was in trouble. So a couple days later, I uh, fearfully, sheepishly walked into my professor's office and sat down. My professor had in his hand my paper. And he pushed it across the table, and I looked at it. I think it had more red marks than white paper. I did not do very well. And this is what my professor said to me. You see all this? Stop it. And he said, you're dismissed. That was it. He gave me this paper filled with red marks, but he knew that somewhere inside me I had what was needed to write a good paper. So I took the paper home, and I worked, and I worked, and he worked on it. And I turned it back into him. And to my amazement, I got a B on my paper, which was a miracle to me. Um, and I'm happy to say I'm kind of a little bit actually proud about this, but I passed my English class with an A minus. That was beyond. Um, it's kind of like our passage today was exceedingly, abundantly beyond all I could ask or think. You know, And Paul in Ephesians continually tells us over and over and over again, that we have something within us as followers of Jesus Christ, that God has begun a good work in us, and he will see that work through to completion. We have within us the ability to do well, the ability to honor God, even though we may feel like we don't, even though... Like in the English class, I did not think that I had the ability. My professor saw something in me that said that I did if I dug down deep enough. And so in this passage today, the Apostle Paul tells us some of what is available to us that has already been given to us. Let me read the passage for you. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, going to verse 21. "'For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named.' knowledge that you may be filled up with the fullness of god now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen This portion of the letter to the Ephesians is a turning point. It is a change point. In the first three chapters, Paul tells us over and over again what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. It's it's focused in its theological understandings of who God is and what God does. The next three chapters deal with the um, ethical, moral, uh, spiritual things that um, we are to be involved in. But what's important for us to understand in this passage is that it begins and ends with worship. It begins and ends with God. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Getting on our knees in worship is incredibly important. Sometimes we have a hard time actually physically getting on our knees, and the older we get and the more the arthritis sets in, the more difficult it becomes. Not so much to get on your knees. I can do that pretty easily. It's that aspect of getting back up again that is becoming increasingly difficult. But getting on our knees and bowing before God, whether it's in our physically or whether it's in our heart, and our spirit, shows reverence to God and it shows a sense of readiness to move forward. When we bow on our knees, we are saying that you are God and there is no other. When I think about worship, I think about Isaiah chapter 6 where um, Isaiah comes into the very throne room of God. And the pillars of that room are shaking, and it's filled with smoke, and the robe uh, fills every corner, and around him are the heavenly hosts declaring his holiness. And Isaiah realizes that to be in the very presence of God is not a safe place to be. He realizes that he is a sinner. That he is a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And, well, in the language maybe of today, he would say to himself, I am toast. I have no hope. And yet the angel comes and takes a, a, a hot coal from the fire that was there before him. And he goes over and he places it on Isaiah's lips. And declares to him that your Sin has been taken away. You have been cleansed. You have been atoned for. And then the question is asked from God, who will go for us? Who will go out in the world and declare this truth? Declare my glory? And Isaiah says, I will go. Send me. You see, that's what worship does. It brings us to our knees before God And as we show reverence and honor and glory and worship, it gets us ready to go forth. We can't go forth very well if we're not bowing before the Heavenly Father. We learn here that it is from God the Father that every family on heaven and earth is named. We uh, share family names together. The name of our grandpa was passed on to the name of our father who passes that last name on to us. We are marked in that family. It is who we are. And the scriptures tell us that Every family on earth, every family in heaven gets its name, its beginning, its source, its purpose from God. Now, there's an important lesson for us as we read that. It tells us that we are. All related. As the old kid's uh, little song, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. We are all related to the Father. We are all created in his image. Now, in us, that image is marred because of sin but we are still image bearers. And the people around us, whether they follow Jesus or don't, are still ones who are created in the image of God. They have worth because of that. They are to be loved because of that. We all bear the name of the Father. Whether we admit that or not, it is still true. His glory is rich. And his desire for us there is says that, he, that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we prayed, dwells in us. He comes and finds his home in our inner being so that we may dwell in our hearts, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The goal there is for us to have Jesus. Fill us up. That as the church, we would not only bear the name of the Father, but we would bear the name of Christ. And he would take up residency in our hearts. Jesus tells us that we are to abide in him and have him abide in us. And as we do that, then we will produce much fruit. We want to be active, serving Jesus here from our church, out of our lives. And it comes when we let Jesus abide in us and when we abide in him and his word. Verse 17 tells us that we have been rooted and grounded in love. That word grounded means that actually the word is foundation, foundation. Paul uses an agricultural term and a building term. He says that we are rooted in Christ. We are grounded or, or find our foundation in his love. What's good to know in that little passage is that in uh, the language of jesus 's day of paul 's day, this these words rooted and founded talk about completed action. he talks about um, that it is acted upon us it's not something that we do we don 't root ourselves, and we don't build the foundation, but we are rooted and founded in Christ and His love. It's a completed act as we follow Jesus. When we surrender our hearts and our lives to Him, this takes place for us. We are rooted in Him. We are building upon Him. In verse 18, he says that we are to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the church, with all God's, holy, all God's holy ones, we are to have the ability to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and the knowledge of the love of Christ. It's interesting that in verse 19, Paul says that we are to know the love that is really surpassing knowledge. We are to know the unknowable, the fullness of the love of Christ, that we would experience the height and the depth, the breadth and the length of the love of Christ. And that as we do and experience these things, we may be filled up with the fullness of God. We are not just giving a partial sense of God, but we can know the fullness of God. In fact, not just know it, but the scriptures tell us that we would be filled up with the fullness of God. And then Paul directs us back to worship. He says that to God who is able to do far more abundantly. Some of your versions may say exceedingly abundantly. More than we can ask or think. According to His work, the power at work in us, the power of the Spirit that we saw in verse 16. That Spirit's power working in us and working to, him, to His glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. God has his eyes set upon the church. That we would know his power. That is more than we can ask or think. That we would live in the love of Christ. That we would be filled up with the fullness of God. These things are available to us just like I had a hidden knowledge of English, still working on math, but have a hidden knowledge of English. We have within us the fullness of God to live the way that he has called us to live. We're saying today that if God's not in it, we don't want it. If God's not in it... uh, we don't want to do it. Rather, we need to be and want to be and our desire is to be filled up with the fullness of God. Paul has two main points in this book of Ephesians. That is the glory of God and the unity of the church. It's what the church calls, is called to be. I think we mentioned it last week that um, Jesus' prayer for us in John chapter 17 is that we would be one with the Father, as Jesus is one with the Father. That's a pretty close relationship. And that in our unity, through our unity, the world would know that Jesus is sent. It is in the unity of the body of Christ, not just here at Bethesda, but across all the body of Christ here in this community, here in our nation, and around the world. So what are we to do with all this? How are we to move forward? We are to love God and love those created in his image. That means all people. As we love people, those created in the image of God, we worship God. It's one thing for us to gather in our homes and someday soon to gather again as the body of Christ here in the church and to say, I love you, God. God says, if you love me, you will love people. It's what um, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, 1 John 4, excuse me, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. He is the It says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the big theological word, the propitiation for our sins, that Christ paid the price for our sin and makes a difference in our lives. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another, because no one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is made perfected in us. It is the work of the church to love. And as we love, God is known. Worship and obedience reminds us of who owns the house. Who owns us who owns the body of Christ, who owns the church. It's not us. It's God. Now, let's be real honest here. Loving people is not easy. I remember in one of the Charlie Brown uh, comic strips, Linus is speaking, and he says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And how that is true for us so often in the church is that we say we love everyone, But when it gets down to it, it is incredibly difficult to love. But we have in us the fullness of God. We are rooted and made our foundation in Christ and in his love. And so we have within us the ability to love. So we need to look to Jesus to find his example of love. Jesus loved the unlovely. Jesus loved the untouchable. Jesus loved the ungrateful. Jesus loved the unforgivable. And Jesus expressed that love when he went to the cross and died for us. And if we want to know the fullness of God, if we want to know the fullness of the love that is Christ, it comes when we surrender ourselves to Jesus. When we say, I am a needy, sinful person, and I need Jesus. And I believe in you, Lord, that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And that you rose triumphantly from the dead that your righteousness would be available to us and work in me. Jesus is example to love the unlovely, the untouchable, the unforgiven, the ungrateful. Jesus loves those people. So what are our responsibilities? It's to love like Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I believe it is, that we are to love one another, and as we love one another, we prove that we are his disciples. We are to love with acts of kindness, seeing a need that a person has and meeting that need. We are to love with acts of mercy, seeing a person who is broken, downcast, to be able to speak grace, grace, comfort, peace into their lives. We are to love with forgiveness. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Someone once told me that we have a limit on forgiveness. We don't have to forgive others to the point that Christ hasn't forgiven us. And how has Christ forgiven us? He has forgiven us of all things. He has cleansed us from all sins. He has forgiven us completely. And therefore, we must forgive others completely. That doesn't mean that we say that what a person does is not right or that they didn't um, do something wrong but forgiveness goes much deeper than that forgiveness goes i will forgive because of what christ has done for me it's a mark of what it is to be a follower of jesus that that forgiving, loving work that Christ has done for me and in me and continues to do, I must do for others. It is to be the mark of the church, within the walls of the church and to the outside, that we express and share the love of Christ and the forgiveness that is available to us in him. And it is all to be done for the glory of God, for that passage again reminds us that it is to God that the one who is able to do more than we can ask or think, the one who can love through us when it looks impossible to love, the one who can help us to forgive when forgiveness seems so impossible, to help us let go of a grudge, when all we want to do is hold on to it and nurse it. God is able to do that work in us according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now to him be glory in the church. It's in the church that glory is expressed to God and that glory is in Christ Jesus and it's throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesdamb.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, as in boy.org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.